This morning, as I was, I've been thinking and somewhat advised that since it is our annual meeting, that uh, following the service, I should try and keep things short. And so in that spirit, in, in that spirit of thinking, uh, I found a poem that Pastor Netzer wrote that relates to that thinking. Pastor Netzer once wrote a poem entitled 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, Pastor Netzer wrote, I struggled in my mind today to find some little thing to satisfy my friends who say, a short, short sermon bring. 10 or 15 minutes is enough to get your point across. I don't know that kind of stuff. My mind is at a loss. I know I'll pray about it first because I don't know the way. My mind and heart's about to burst. I don't know what to say. I'll tell them, Lord, about your word and the great things you've done. Then surely after they have heard your honor, you'll have won. And of course, that is the, our hope and prayer for, for any message that, that will bring God the honor. And this morning, with that in mind, I would like to take a break from many of the series we've been in and go to Ephesians 6. Uh, my plan is to uh, fi be finishing up the Mark series. We have the Great Commission. We have one chapter that I skipped um, left as well in Mark that I plan to continue tonight in the evening service as well as next week, probably concluding next week or the following week. And then my plan has been to return to 2 Samuel where we left off in that series for the mornings. But this morning we're going to Ephesians 6. And I'm thinking of bringing a mini series probably in the Wednesday night. Wednesday night we've been studying the book of Ruth. Uh, chapter each night. We're on the last chapter this coming Wednesday. I invite you to come and, and pray for the ministry of the church and the school and our community and our nation and our missionaries uh, each Wednesday night. And uh, we're very thankful for those who are, are faithful there. And I'm thinking that perhaps uh, after we finish our study in Ruth, I'll come back to this passage that I'm coming to today in Ephesians 6 on the armor of God. And perhaps we can do a mini-series looking at each aspect a little further in depth of the armor of God. But this morning I would like to do an overview of putting on the whole armor of God. You know, it, any church, any ministry, any believer who does God's will, who does God's work, who is being effective in ministry in any way, is going to be attacked by the devil. It's going to happen. In fact, the places where the most work for God is happening, that is where the most attacks will happen. Uh, you can even look in that historically in centers of Christianity, that's what has happened. Whether it was Jerusalem, Rome, Germany during the Reformation, um, New England at the time of our founding, those are the places that subsequently faced the most satanic opposition and in some cases became the most liberal and you had um, a, a number of problems arose in those areas uh, following the work that God was so abundantly doing in, at one time in those places. So in Ephesians 6 we find four ways in which God wants us to be strong and to stand for him against 
the tricks of the devil by putting on the whole armor of God. The first way that we find in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10 through 14, the first way that we find that God wants us to stand against the tricks of the devil is to put on the belt of truth. But before that, we're going to look at his purpose statement for the, the armor of God. Look, at with, look with me at verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice we are to be strong in God. That's where we are to find our strength is in the Lord, in the power of his might. And to do this, verse 11, we are to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that word devil, um, he's often known as Satan as well. Devil means slanderer, accuser. Uh, Satan means adversary or opponent. And he is a personal devil. He's not just uh, some kind of impersonal force or uh, picture or representative of the evil. But he is a literal, personal being who fell from heaven for his sin of pride against God. He wanted to be like the Most High, wanted to be equal with God. And for that, he was cast out of heaven. And one third of the angels, who are now the demonic forces uh, under the command of Satan, fell from heaven with him. And he personally works. He is not all-powerful like God. He's not all-knowing like God is. He's not present everywhere like God is, but he does have a personal presence and he has those who work on his behalf as the demons. And we see this con continued, this idea, this concept, this warning is continued, this need to put on the armor of God is continued in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weaknesses in high places. So we don't, our struggle is not with people. Satan can certainly use people to say things, to do things that are contrary to his will, to his plan. But it's not that person who is our enemy in any of these cases. It's not the person. And it is the devil behind them. And that is what we have to remember is that we're not wrestling. And the idea, the concept is here is of hand-to-hand -hand compact wrestling it is literally what is it referring to is that there is a personal wrestling that is going on between us as the church as believers and the forces of the devil personal demonic forces that are at work against the work of god that we cannot see uh, we cannot see these angelic beings unless they choose to be seen. And they seem to be restricted because the power of God is greater than Satan. They are restricted in their power and in their ability to make uh, people see them unless people reach out into witchcraft and sorcery, which is why that is completely forbidden in, in Scripture, including the Old Testament. And a dabbling of which can be very dangerous and can allow people uh, to see things that they're not supposed to normally see that are there all the time. But the angels and God, they are greater than the power of Satan. And the Holy Spirit in us is greater. Greater is he that is in you than, is he, than he that is in the world. And, but our, our, our fight is not with people, whether they're unsaved or whether believers who take different uh, opinions 
different views. It's not the people. It's Satan that wants to divide us, that wants to oppose us by those who are unbelievers in our calling, as we looked at last week, to take the gospel of Christ to this world, to teach the teachings of Christ, to disciple believers, to build the Lord's church in this world, to do the service of God in doing so. It is God who builds his church. And in opposition to that purpose is Satan. He is our enemy. He is our adversary. He is our opponent. I remember Pastor McClure told me uh, during his, uh, when, before he, as I mentioned before, before he gave his message here, uh, his last message here, he said he felt like he was under satanic attack and that the physical ailments that he was going through, well, Satan was using it to try and discourage him, perhaps to try and discourage the church. And he brought a message about being encouraged and thanking God for how he uses trials in our life. And we need to remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world. There are demons and fallen angels who have influence over different areas, different regions of the world, different uh, localities, and they do Satan's bidding. And Satan himself has re places where he goes and seeks to work his will and his influence in opposition to God and blinding this world to the truth. So we, to stand against the wiles and against the tricks, by the way, that word wiles is only used, the word that stands behind that English word wiles is only used one time elsewhere in the New Testament. It's also in the book of Ephesians. It's in Ephesians uh, chapter 14, verse, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 14. And it's translated there, deceive. It's a different form, the same word. We henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And that word deceive there is the same word that is translated wiles, or the different form, same word in the, in the Greek. It's translated wiles in Ephesians 6, verse 11 that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the reason, that's the purpose for which Paul is reminding by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that of us, of our need to be armed, to be clothed, to be girded with the whole armor of God. So every part of the armor of God is important. And he's about to introduce this to you. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. So in the day of the temptation, when the attack comes, that ye may be able to stand. We don't have to lose. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't have to lose the battle when it comes. Because God equips us, he gives us the tools, he gives us the armor needed to stand in that day to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, that we are supposed to do all that we can or to put on the whole armor of God. And the first way that we are supposed to put on the whole armor of God is given us in verse 14. 
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So the first way, first way we are to put on the whole armor of God is to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Those two go together. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth holds the armor that protects the vital organs of the chest, the breastplate, uh, which in Roman times, in which Paul, while he's writing this letter, he is chained to a Roman soldier who may be wearing this very type of armor that he has in mind. Could be that that the Holy Spirit is using as inspiration for this picture of the tools, the defensive and offensive weapons that we are given to fight the spiritual warfare against the devil and his forces. The first one is the belt of truth because that holds in place the breastplate, which were made of uh, many pieces of metal overlapping, giving some flexibility and much strength to the Roman soldier's armor. You know, often when we think of armor, we think of medieval armor. armor. But this time in history, it's Rome is the primary example of wearing armor. It's certainly right there in front of Paul as he's in prison while he's writing this epistle, probably chained to two Roman soldiers as he was at various times. And... Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This belt of truth would hold the breastplate in place. It also attaches that to the lower piece of armor that protects the loins area. So it's detecting both the upper vital organs and the lower vital organs for the soldier. Protects them from blows to that part of their body to preserve their life. And... Similarly, we need to protect our hearts from the attacks of the devil, whether he, remembering that it's not the people that are enemies, that when we feel attacked by people, it's not the people, it's the devil behind, using even something that could be a good intention to somehow weaken us and to get us off track in our accomplishing God's purpose for us as a church, as individuals, as families, we are to be, first of all, gird with the belt of truth because truth is what the standard is. We have to, in order to be righteous, to be doing the right things, the breastplate of righteousness, we have to be living in the light of God's truth, God's word, the Bible. So truth is the first thing we're told to put on. Truth. Truth is important. Truth is vital to our war, spiritual warfare. If we compromise the truth, our armor, our spiritual armor is compromised. Remember, we must have on the whole armor and do all to withstand in the evil day when the attack comes. We must be in, our, in the Word and conforming our lives, conforming our ministry to the Word of God. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, which is partly held in 
by that belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness protecting us that when attacks come, uh, that we don't respond in like manner, but because we are armed, because we are protected by righteousness, if we are conforming, and remember, not that we do this in our own will and our own strength, but as we conform ourselves to Christ, as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit who gives us the righteousness of Christ that is our breastplate of armor. It's not by our own works that we're saved, remember. It's by Christ dying in our place. Our sins are imputed to him. He took those sins upon him on the cross, died for them, paid for them, and in his righteousness is what replaces our sin. We're given a new nature. And God, when he looks at us, instead of seeing our sin, which is now forgiven, covered, removed, washed away by the blood of Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ in that place, in the blood of Christ that has washed us white as snow. So we are to be, first of all, armed. We are first of all be clothed, prepared for the battle, for the day of evil, by the power of God through the truth of his word and his righteousness, we are to be standing in his righteousness. Remember the devil, he wants to be the slanderer, he wants to be the accuser, he wants to accuse us. And we are armed against that by this breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth. If we are conforming to the truth, if we are living our lives in accordance to the truth of the word of God, the second way in which we are to be putting on the whole armor of God is we are to put on the shoes of the gospel. Look at verse 14 with me. Verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Notice that word preparation is important. That we need to study and be prepared and be ready at any time to give an answer of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear being ready to share the gospel, to present the gospel, to present the full truth in the power of God's word that the Holy Spirit can use to convict. It's not our words, it's not our intellect that ultimately persuades a person. You know, if someone can be persuaded into believing, just mentally they can be persuaded out. But if it's a conviction of the heart, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, then their heart is converted, they repent, which means they change their mind on who they are and their need for salvation in Christ and believe the gospel and are saved, born again through putting their faith, putting our faith in Jesus Christ for what he did in demonstrating his love, not just for the sake of showing that he loved us, but to save us because we are condemned by our actions. I, I was substituted this week for an extra Bible class and I came across an idea in that class that took me by surprise a little bit. I didn't realize, uh, but it made sense that there is some preaching out there that focuses only on the love of God and says that the only reason Christ died was to show that he loved us. But that is equal to the idea of saying, to your friend, I'm going to prove how much I love you by jumping off this cliff. There's no purpose in jumping off the cliff just to say, just to prove a point. 
There is a reason Jesus died for us. It wasn't just to prove that he loved us. It was because we were going to have to die and suffer the penalty for our sin otherwise. So he's paying our punishment, paying our fine for us, taking our punishment upon himself. That's why he died. It was necessary because God is a holy and righteous judge and we had to have redemption from the punishment we would otherwise have to pay. And he did it for us. And that's how he showed us his love because he loved us. He cared about us so much that he was willing to take our place, to take that punishment of death. And because of his eternality, it counts for all men, for all time, all lives, all sins, if we put our faith in Christ for our salvation. So we need to take the shoes, we need to put the shoes of the gospel, we need to take the gospel and take it throughout all the world, starting with ourselves, being ready to personally give the witness, by, and also by inviting people to places where they will hear the gospel, giving out tracts, inviting them to church, supporting missions, supporting efforts in evangelism. And now the third way that we take on the whole armor of God, the third way is that we need to take the shield of faith. We need to take the shield of faith. Look at verse 15, verse 16. After all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Notice we have, so far we still have more defensive armor because the devil will attack us and things will come into our life that, as Pastor McClure said, hit us in the face. And we must believe that God will work things out for good or that he will use even the trials of our life that perhaps won't seem to be remedied during, remedied during our lifetime, that he will use it for good somehow for the, his kingdom for the encouragement of believers, for the light of evangelism and holding up the truth of the gospel to the lost who need to see the hope that we have in Christ, who need to see our faith demonstrated and for us to build our faith and to see more how God is in control. You know, for me, a personal example has come lately, even in this past week, where uh, things have gotten a little shaky uh, at my other job where we're almost 80 percent of my support income and my all of my um, health benefits come from is from serving as a teacher at Calvary Baptist Church Academy and the athletic director position there is very demanding much more than I thought and that's a lot to keep track of and in the past two weeks I know I've made three major mistakes got a huge letter of complaint from one of the parents sent to the principal and the entire week I was already asking, uh, am I going to get that contract without the athletic director part? Because when I was offered a contract a couple months ago, I think, uh, I asked, can I get a contract that doesn't have athletic director in it? And what I was told this beginning of this week before I even got the letter of complaint was, well, we would, but we're having trouble finding someone else to take that position of athletic director. And about the only way we might be able to give that away is to give your teaching position to someone who is willing to come in and fill that because no one in the school is willing to do it. So it's kind of a hard position right now and I'm trying to find a way to split some of the athletic directoring positions up with another teacher 
and working out that way. And the, and the principal is still looking for the few positions that he's already filling without filling my position, uh, trying to find, you know, he's filling like a fourth grade position and a science teaching position. But the people that he's hiring so far don't want to do it. He's, try he's trying to find someone who is, but he has to hire those positions one way or the other. He's looking at all his options. But through all of this, I know that God has a, has, is going to work it out, and you have to do what God leads and what God directs and, and look for God to work it out and hold up the shield of faith. And that's just a small area compared to diseases that afflict so many of our members and that uh, the shield of faith is so important because the devil would like to discourage us through disease, through physical ailments, through... Um, through our emotions, through things that we hear, through even the news that can sometimes be disturbing as we see things in North Korea and say, oh no. But the devil would love to use that. He'd love for that to be a fiery dart that comes at us and we have to hold up the shield of faith knowing that God is ultimately in control and he will work all things out for good. Fourth, we have to take the helmet of salvation, the fourth way in which we put on the whole armor of God. Oh, by the way, verse 16, the shield of faith is listed as the most important. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It's referring to the devil, referring to those the devil uses to try and discourage us, to try to get us away from fulfilling God's purpose for us, from doing his work, from advancing the gospel. And the faith is most important. But then, fourthly, we come to the last part of putting on the whole armor. We must take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Holy Spirit. The helmet of salvation protects our mind from the doubts and fears that we have assurance of our salvation, knowing that no matter what happens in this life, even if we end up without a job, without our needs taken care of for a time, whatever, the worst thing that could possibly happen Worst things that could possibly happen, no matter what happens in this life, when we get to the end and we, we will one day be with God forever, and all the problems that we faced in this life, some of which come to us because we're serving God, because we're doing what God wants us and Satan is attacking, it will all be over one day and God will reward our faithfulness. So we have to wear that helmet that protects our mind from the doubts and fears that we naturally have, that we are saved, that one day we're going to be in heaven with God, and focus on that, not just as consolation that we stick our head in the sand and, and ignore all our problems because, well, one day I'll be in heaven and I'll be over, but having the strength to face the problems in the way that God wants us to, because we know he, our, our eternal destiny with him is secure. We don't need to doubt that. When we have assurance of that, all other problems can seem trivial because one day we will be with God. And in the meantime, he has a purpose and a plan for everything that we face and can work it out for good. Notice the next part of this, along with taking the helmet of salvation, the fourth way in which we take on the whole armor of God is 
and the sword of the Spirit, not just the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Part of having our thinking guarded by our helmet of salvation is being in God's Word, using God's Word, and this is an offensive weapon. The helmet aspect, defensive, but then the Word of God, offensive. The Word of God is quick and powerful as a two-edged sword, we're told. And in this passage, it is again referred to as a sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And as we use the sword of the Spirit, going right along with God's Word is prayer. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all preservation, uh, perseverance and supplication for all saints. We need to pray for all of them. All saints. We need to pray for all believers. This isn't talking about praying for those who have passed away uh, in Christ and were especially good people, good Christians, not th that type of saint, but all believers. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for each other, lift each other up. That is what the devil fears the most, is the word of God and prayer. And he tries when we pray to get our minds off the prayer and to get us distracted and keep us because it's not so much that we know how to pray or the words that we say or how often we pray that scares the devil the most. It's the power that God has to answer the prayer that scares him. So when we ask in God's will for a request, Satan is terrified because he knows God can and will answer that prayer and that will defeat Satan's purposes. And sometimes God allows things to come into our life that are difficult so that we pray more. Because, let's face it, sometimes when things are easy, we might forget to pray. But when we have a need in our life, we remember to pray. And that's what God wants. Because that is when Satan is being put at bay the most, is when we are using his word, God's word, and prayer. So we should pray according to God's word within the will of God for things that God would want. Not just you know, things that we would want, things that God would want according to his word. And pray for those. And this defeats the plans of Satan. And notice that Paul adds a personal note to here. To be praying for him. And for me, verse 19, that the utterance may be given me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that wherein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He's in prison and he's praying, give me boldness to speak. Give me the... At pray that I would have the opportunity to speak clearly, effectively, boldly, so that the mystery of the gospel would be understood. That word ambassador is, is an interesting one. Ambassador, this word for ambassador as used here, uh, refers to the imperial legate, um, the ambassador for the emperor of Rome, is the terminology used here. And that person was a very important and powerful person who would represent the emperor wherever he went and had the authority of the emperor when he would go in different parts of the Roman Empire to speak on the emperor's behalf and, and to speak for the emperor on how things should be in that part of the empire. And Paul was that apostle for God, speaking for God on God's behalf to the church. And he does that to, uh, for us here speaking on how we should put on the whole armor of God and ask his readers for prayer. And I ask that you pray for me, for all those in the church, for our missionaries, 
for our national leaders and our state leaders. Very important part of our battle with Satan. So now we've looked at four ways in which God wants us to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the tricks of the devil, doing all we can to stand. But it's through the strength of God, and he provides us how we stand in that strength, in the armor of God, the spiritual armor, this picture that we are given through the, through the armor. Are we doing all that we can to stand against the devil? Are we putting on the belt of truth? Are we conforming our lives and our words, our actions, our attitudes, our plans to God's word, the truth? And is that what we are basing our righteousness, our lives upon? Are we clothed with the breastplate of righteousness? Are we wearing the gospel, the preparation of peace, that we are prepared to give the good news of the gospel, we're prepared, we're ready to share the gospel, and we're helping send missionaries and send others and support others in giving the gospel? Are we taking the shield of faith, which is above all, take the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the devil? And are we guarding our mind through the, through the helmet of salvation, and are we storming the gates of hell through the word of God, the, the sword of the Spirit, and through prayer? Let us make sure that as we come into the annual meeting today that we are fully clothed in the armor as this is a time where Satan could want, or certainly would want to, attack us. Let's make sure we are wearing the whole armor of God as we go into this meeting and make uh, plans, make uh, reports on how God is working here in the Bible Church of Lakeshore. Let's close in prayer.